Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Gospel Music Report. Now, if you've not already noticed, this episode is a little different from the first, and that's because it's the introduction to an additional format I'm going to be implementing into the episode rotation. Um, I've always intended to interview people, and as I can get to them, I'll be sprinkling them in here and there as schedules allow. These won't be written commentary pieces, but rather just simple discussions between myself and whoever I get to sit down with. Now, I've done my best to make it somewhat visually stimulating, but this was an over-the-phone interview, as I'm assuming most of them will be. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoy it. But before we jump in, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who liked, commented, and shared episode one with your friends. I greatly appreciate the response and the feedback. Also, thank you very much to those who have graciously decided to support me on Patreon over at patreon.com slash gospelmusicreport. You are the people who are going to keep this moving forward, and for that, I'm especially grateful. Ken and Jean Grady are the founders and hosts of the television show Gospel Music Today. Through the years, they've traveled and interviewed hundreds of artists while featuring just as many on their broadcast, and though today they're certainly no strangers to the gospel music world, this style of music was nowhere to be found in their background. In 1988, they were living separate lives in the town of Coventry, Rhode Island, where Ken was a school teacher and Jean was a director of music. I was the, um, I'd become the director of the Patuxent Valley Community Chorus, which was a local community chorus in the town that we lived. And uh, Ken was a school teacher. Our, our community chorus met at the school once a week, and he was a school teacher there. And also, he was an advisor for the radio station. At, at the high school and and so his kids provided the lights and sound for our shows and it was oh. through that that I met him and it just so happened that the president of the chorus said the first Christmas he said um, be sure you contact Ken Grady to do the lights and sound for your Christmas program and I said well at that time I said what does he do because I, I didn't know and he said well he's a, a, a single guy he's a school teacher right here and I said, oh, I said, you know somebody that's single? I said, I needed a date for the Christmas program <laughs> or to the Christmas party for work. And um, so this person became the matchmaker to try to get us together. And he had to work quite hard to do that. Uh, we would see one another on rehearsal nights. And it was the course of about five years before we uh, got married. But we just dated uh, during that five years. And... Um, so that, that's basically how we met, and he continued working with the chorus. He became the MC for our chorus programs and uh, uh, still had the kids there that were doing the lights and sound for us. So that's, that's how we met. I personally assumed that Ken had always intended to be in broadcasting, but although he was familiar with radio, he actually went to college to become a schoolteacher. Later, I asked them both how they came to the decision to start their show, but at this time in Ken's life, it wouldn't be until nearly 20 years later when he and Gene would meet. However, someone else did have their eye on him. As soon as, soon as I walked out of that college, the, uh, the draft board had their eye on me. This was in the Vietnam era. So I, had, I started teaching, and then eight weeks later got drafted. So, okay. uh, so my actual broadcasting started at that point. Because I knew that you had done uh, broadcasting in the, when you were in the military. Right. 
Um, and I, I guess I just assumed that you had you had trained for that purpose, but that's just something that sort of fell into your lap. Yeah, well, I had done college radio, and, uh, and I had played in a band during college. So I was familiar with all the local disc jockeys in the Providence area, including the the disc jockeys at what was the the big station then, WPRO in Providence. So when I got drafted, uh, I got I went through basic training and I got sent to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and got trained as an artillery surveyor. That's the guy that sits up on top of the hill and directs which way the uh, guns are supposed to fire. Hmm. So um, they they held me at the school after the school was done because I, I I did very well in the school. They held me there and made me an instructor in the school for officers. So when I uh, when I eventually got orders to go to Korea, by that time I, my pals there in the army were uh, captains and majors. And I, I said, what do I need to do? I don't want to go to Korea and sit on the 39th parallel directing guns in case there's a, a second Korean war breaks out. So they told me what to do. I got the guys at uh, WPRO to write letters of recommendation saying what a great broadcaster I was. They had no clue. Uh, <laughs> and when I got to uh, Korea... They, they, they drop you in, the, in a big warehouse when they, when they send you to a country and then distribute everybody out to where they're going to go. Well, I was still sitting there at the end of the week, so I went to the office and told the, uh, the clerk in the office, who was even dumber than I was, uh, I said, I think there's been a mistake. I'm still stuck here, and I think the problem is I was supposed to go to uh, American Forces Radio and Television, and I think... Maybe somebody lost my uh, paperwork. So the kid picks up the phone and calls the American Forces Radio and Television Headquarters mm-hmm. in Seoul. There's a civilian in charge of it, and um, he has the paperwork that I sent him sitting on his desk when the clerk calls him. So the clerk explains what's going on. The civilian knows that the clerk is <laughs> just some <laughs> poor guy that got conned into this, but he says... That sounds right. Send him over here. Hmm. So I spent my two years in the military to, uh, reading the news on television and playing records on the radio. And uh, that was the, the beginning of uh, what we do now. You know? That's how broadcasting really started for you. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it's... It's my understanding that neither of you grew up listening to this style of music. I mean, would it, especially you can. I mean, you're, Gene, your your father was a Baptist preacher. Yes, he was a Southern Baptist preacher. Um, but we really didn't have uh, Southern gospel music. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we, some gospel songs, uh, some hymns. But back when I was growing up, the Southern gospel music as we know it today would have been more in the uh, Pentecostal churches, not so much in the okay. Baptist churches. And so in, in some cases, it, it was foreign, a little foreign to me, but um, and, and definitely not for Ken. And, mm-hmm. and the way that we uh, were kind of introduced to it is that we had a, a musical theater in, 
in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island that Ken and I used to like to go to and we happened to uh, get tickets to a Statler Brothers concert. And we went to see the wow. Statler Brothers and at the end of their concert they did the gospel songs. And mm -hmm. uh, we just, we fell in love with them and it was just shortly after that that Bill Gaither was doing um, um, a homecoming series up in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, we, you can hear that Ken's phone going off. So we went yeah. up there and, um, and, and, and just kind of got immersed in, in, in the music. We liked it and I was a, a choir director at a church. So I started ordering choral music that really was uh, Southern gospel music. Uh, some of Mike Speck's cantatas and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the choir just ate it up. They loved it. And so that, that started what, what we were doing with Southern Gospel. And then Ken continued it on with promotions. So <clears throat> when you guys met and Ken was a teacher, um, what was the transition from where he decided that he wants to get back into his broadcasting and doing it with Southern Gospel music? Well, That's that good. really that really happened after when I retired. Um, okay, I got back into television. One of the one of the uh, kids that had been on the radio station at the high school, a lot of them went on to work in uh, radio and television, and um, I had been retired just a little while, and I got a phone call from former student who was now working at Channel Six in Providence and wanted to know if I wanted to come and work there part-time. So I did. So I got back into it, you know, that way. We started the uh, television show in Rhode Island of our own. Rhode Island had a, uh, all the, in, in those days, there were several local cable companies in Rhode Island, instead of like it is today where it's mainly a few big, uh, big companies. There were all these, each town had its own little cable company, and um, they were all hooked together by uh, microwave, and they had a channel that was devoted to religious broadcasting, and if you produced a show, they would put it on there for free, and it would run statewide. So we got back into it that way and used that show to promote the groups that we were uh, having to come up to sing mm -hmm. at the church, and that's how we got we got back into that. So this, the show that we do now is technically not a full-time job, although <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of hours. But uh, Well, I, I mean, as you two have known, since you're here talking to me, you, you know that I've started my own show, and this is just the second episode. Um, so I can understand that there, there'd be some difficulties, things that come up, um, for example, I record this out of my bedroom. I'm sitting in my bedroom right now, and I understand you you two are in your studio. Yes. Um, and, uh, I mean, for me personally, my studio, I just went to Lowe's and bought some wallboard and and screwed it into my drywall, and I use it on my laptop and my iPhone. Uh, mm -hmm. for the I've even rigged up my own home-made teleprompter using my phone and my Apple TV and it's it's a long story but so my biggest issue right now is just time and money but you two have been doing this for uh, how long has the show been going I think I've said 15 years for the past three years but <laughs> but more than 15 years let's just put it there 
15 uh, years plus. 15 years um, plus, that's right. And you guys have got, you've got your own studio designated for this. You've got studio lighting, cameras, you, official gear that you take with you when you go to your different shows that you know that we've seen. That's how you and I uh, met. That's right. Um, so what have been some of your biggest hurdles in getting gospel music today to where it is today? Well... I'll tell you, uh, because I, I know that uh, I, I saw the first topic of your, um, uh, I, guess, I guess yours is not a podcast because it's, it's on, No, it's, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of labeled as a YouTube show, but okay. I, I, it started, the idea started as a podcast because I started listening to podcasts years ago and I, I like the concept, but yeah. um, video format works best for this audience. Yeah. Well, our 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 biggest hurdle is the same one that uh, that you and a lot of other people face, and it's uh, just simply money. Um, we are two retired people that do this because we we love to do it, and in the in the world of Christian broadcasting, the Christian broadcasting world is a pay-to-play world, mm-hmm. and uh, we. We want, we want to play, but we don't want to pay. Right. So um, we, we're on uh, KWHB in Tulsa, a Christian broadcasting station, um, and stations in uh, and eight other stations in several states. And we don't pay. Mm-hmm. We just... Once in a while we'll ask. Once in a while we'll wait until somebody asks us, and uh, and we'll we'll do the show. But um, a lot of the uh, television shows that are on on currently on the uh, satellite networks and everything that's mm-hmm. a that's that can be a very expensive proposition. And uh, yeah. what we try to do is is make it look as good as we can and. Gene has music experience. I have broadcasting experience. We we just try to to uh, to use that experience to to produce the best product that we can without spending uh, a whole bunch of money. You described your uh, studio in your bedroom. Well, our studio where we do the studio segments of our show is a room upstairs in our house where regular people would have a media room. Yeah, a pool table and mm-hmm. a big screen TV. Instead of that, we have uh, my editing computer and and a little set for our uh, show. But the the set for our show which we tried to make look like a uh, like a mm-hmm. pro level set. You know, when people come up here and see it and I'll tell, "Well, you can have your own." Just go down to Home Depot with 75 bucks and buy, <laughs> and buy the stuff. And if you know how to put it together and make it look decent, you can, uh, you can do something with it. One of the things that we will not sacrifice, though, in our show is quality. And I think that's been uh, a, a success factor as, as we have seen uh, shows come and go. And, and, and you, you realize now that that there's going to be quite a bit of work in it and, and a lot of times people find out they don't want to put that much work into it mm-hmm. but we have a steady <coughs> show and you know we have not certain rules but certain thing we have a certain day that we record 
and certain mm -hmm. things that have to be done for the show and, and then Ken <coughs> does the production work on it. So there has to be a certain amount of dedication there because if not, it, it you just are going to get burnt out real fast. Yeah, that's that's something when I when I decided I wanted I, I thought about doing this for a while and and I've always wanted to do uh, I do a podcast with some some friends about video games because I'm a nerd and uh, and I've done some video games or some podcasts about Star Wars because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and then I thought, well, you know, another one of my my passions is gospel music and um, there's not really a lot of. Uh, of podcasts being done and I thought well but the problem is is that um, a good majority of the crowd doesn't get involved in that technology side of the media um, so it would have to be a, a video show if I wanted to do anything and then I realized well I don't want it to look bad I don't want it to right. look like I'm just I'm holding my phone and you know I'm giving a video here and there because you know people if they're going to keep coming back to it it needs to be something that looks professional and then my other big issue for me right now um is time and and like you mentioned gene um what a very important part of people returning is the consistency of knowing when it comes out uh it comes out on the same date every week or every month or however it's released um and so i would like this to be a weekly show it's still in the growth stages to where i've i've uh you know, put it out there that, you know, I, I still have to work a full-time job and I'm in the process of, of getting ready to move, uh, in the coming months. And, but when I get down to the, the base of what I want the show to be, I do want it to be a weekly show and it's, it, it'll, the content will vary between commentary pieces and interviews and, and whatever else. I mean, I'm still taking suggestions from people, but, um, I definitely can understand that there would be those would be two of my biggest hurdles would be time and money. So, yeah. and, and, um, and the money part of it, um, n no matter what you do, because we don't charge for, for interviews and things like that. Uh, just a trip to when we used to go to Louisville to the NQC could end up being quite expensive, even though mm -hmm. we're getting things for the show, you know, between the hotel and the food and, and the booth space and things like that. Now, Recently, we've had some things open up where we are able to do more interviews without it being so costly, and and that's just been a great, great thing for us to be able to do. Well, I enjoy it, and I, and and you two have been uh, good friends to me over the years, and I really appreciate your just being a um, uh, contribution to the to the community, which is what I want this show to be. I mean, it needs more of that. One of the benefits of traveling and interviewing so many artists is not only getting to sit down with them, but really getting to know them on a level that not many people do. And with that come some pleasant surprises along the way. With just one trip to the National Quartet Convention involving over 100 interviews, I asked Ken what some of their most favorite sit-down experiences have been. There's, there's two categories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's uh, ones that, are, uh, that have become more more serious interviews, and there's ones that have become more fun interviews. And uh, probably the one that was the most fun is uh, we were trying to, to uh, interview Karen Peck in New River. And mm -hmm. this was, uh, I don't know if it was the, the last year the NQC was in Louisville or maybe the next to the last. The booth across from us 
was uh, a guy selling uh, suits and ties and uh, stuff. And right. he was uh, he had, he knew nothing about Southern Gospel, by the way. But he just <laughs> he went to these conventions and set up his booth. Well, he became an, uh, very uh, interested once he saw the people coming to our booth for interviews. And uh, every male singer that came to us for an interview could go across the aisle and right. pick out a free tie. So it was a great benefit to being on our show. But anyway, to get back to try to answer your question, <laughs> uh, we were trying to interview Karen Peck in New River. And Brian Free, I guess, was going to be next. And so he goes next door. Karen Peck had a purple dress on, so Brian Free goes next door and picks out a purple tie and goes and stands next to the camera and does his absolute best to see if he could distract Karen Peck by standing there with this ridiculous-looking purple tie and trying to get her attention. <laughs> well, finally she saw him, and things started to go to pieces at that point. And right. then... Uh, Next along, just walking down the aisle, I think, comes uh, Ray Dean Reese, who now he wants to get in on the show mm -hmm. and uh, comes up and he wants to, um, wants to hire Karen and Susan to be his backup singers in the, in the Kingsmen, and they didn't really want to do that. <laughs> but finally, they decided to sing a song. So uh, they sang uh, you know, Beautiful Home, and uh, Ray sang it, and Karen and Susan did the the harmony vocals, the uh, it was it was really one of my uh, one of my favorites. I believe that's out on YouTube. That is on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Now, the serious, you, you, well, you, you had one more. There was a serious, yeah. more serious one. You said there were two interviews that stick out in your mind. Yeah, the ones that I've uh, that we've really talked about the nuts and bolts of uh, Southern Gospel is two of them. It's Mark Trammell is one. Uh, he likes to to get into that stuff, and um, mm -hmm. Gerald Wolf likes to get into that, and um, we've had some really some good interviews with those two guys. Ken also interviewed Bill Gaither. Yeah. One year, so. It's been well, all all three guys that know a lot about this industry. Yeah, well, what yeah. it takes. So, um, I guess out of let me ask the next question that leads us right into that: Is there anybody today who you've not interviewed yet, but you're you're still wanting to or have you got to everybody well no we haven't run out of everybody yet but we we <laughs> talked about this uh just earlier today and um these guys are not technically uh southern gospel but they they really are the ones that got us into it and we would really love to uh get at least one or, or all would be wonderful of the uh, statler brothers no take it full circle yeah. Take it full circle, that's right. Yeah. And it's funny, the night that we saw them at um, the Warwick Musical Theater, one of Ken's former students was working at the radio station that was sponsoring the concert, so he grabbed us as we were walking in the door. He says, come on, we're going to have your picture taken with the Statler Brothers. So I have the framed picture of Ken and me with the <laughs> Statler Brothers. Yeah. Now oh, we would wow. like to take it full circle and do the interview with them. Before wrapping up our time together, I asked Ken and Gene a couple more questions, including what aspirations they still had for gospel music today. The conversation eventually led to discussing some of the differences between what we call the golden age of gospel music and our current industry, and just what hurdles artists are facing right now. I think we've, uh, 
we've gone beyond what we, what the, uh, what the plan was originally. Mm -hmm. uh, we would still like to, um, to reach out to more audiences in, in different areas. You know, the, we, there's another thing we were just talking about. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the golden days of uh, gospel music, back in the days of the, the original Blackwoods and the Statesmen, mm -hmm. um, there were two factors. One was, one was actual terrestrial radio, which really barely is alive nowadays. Mm -hmm. And the other one was television. You know, the Blackwoods especially were legitimate national television stars. And local stations, local television stations, produced or welcomed local programming. Not infomercials, right. not, not selling, uh, uh, you know, items to clean your windows or whatever they whatever it is they sell. These were legitimate local entertainment programs. Or they would take the gospel singing Jubilee, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that doesn't exist anymore either. So reaching out to, to different areas in television now is uh, really difficult. But, we're, but on the other hand, you know, we're, we didn't get into this to try to get rich or to become, uh, right. you know, national television stars. But we would like to reach out to more areas, but it's just, a, it's a slow process. But we have a big internet following, um, yeah. as well oh, as yeah, the television. There, there is a big internet following out there that, and, and we don't, sometimes we don't even realize that, you know, until we're in Memphis or we're, you know, in Pigeon Forge and somebody just walks up, oh, watch a show every week. And we, we don't realize the impact of the Internet. Well, yeah, I mean, you, and I think that that goes along with just not realizing the impact that you two have uh, just with all the people that you come in contact with. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was telling somebody the other day when I started my own gospel group years ago. Uh, well, not years ago. I guess it would have been You're not that six, old. six years ago. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have anything, uh, moving forward there. You know, we, we didn't have any gear. We had to come up with, you know, everything we wanted and, and nobody really know who, uh, knew who we were. Um, and I had a little bit of help with, with promotions, um, and stuff like that. But I remember Ken got in touch with me, uh, just out of the blue and, uh, asked what I was using to sing on and um I, I it was it still sticks in my mind and is a, it was a really big deal to me that he said well I've got these three Sennheiser wireless microphones <laughs> and receivers that Jean used to use she's not using them anymore um do you guys want them and you know didn't didn't offer a price or whatever just sent them to me free in a box I got them one day um and we used those the whole time we were there, I mean that we we that's what we sung on the entire time, um, and that was just I mean when you think about it, I mean that that helped our we went and sang to all those different groups. I mean you you guys had a part in in making that happen, and that was something I always appreciated, and that's something that a lot of people overlook. 
Um, it's just something as small as that. I mean, that actually wasn't a small gesture. I mean, those are expensive microphones, but. Yeah. Well, that's nice to hear, I, though. It, for us, it's nice to hear that they got used. And, they and definitely got used. <laughs> can further further things along with that. And, 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 and also with that, David, um, one of the things that we do on the show, uh, one of the features that I do every week is a feature group. And um, I don't tell any of the groups ahead of time that they're going to be the feature group on the show. And, mm -hmm. and, and most of the groups, to tell you the truth, I don't even know who they're going to be till I start researching out on the internet or I see their name someplace or I go find a group and I do a feature group on them. But believe it or not, that is the group that is going to help us the most because they are going to tell their friends about gospel music today and their friends will mm -hmm. start watching it. A lot, right. a lot of the uh, a lot of more established gospel singers in established groups uh, really don't don't need to tell a lot of people about us. They get interviewed by many different people, and they get they're on many different television shows. But when you take a group that's virtually unknown and you feature them on Gospel Music Today, then then that's how the word gets out to many other people. Because I send a press release and say, please share this with your social media friends. Some do, some don't. But those that do, uh, then we have more people listen to our show. Yeah. Well, I, I've always appreciated you too. And, and I was, we, we talked about this when we started the phone call. Um, my first interview ever in gospel music was with <laughs> Ken. And so I, I just thought it would be right for me to make my first interview that I've ever done with, with you two. And so I, I thank you for being able to do this. Um, I do have one more question, and, and Ken, you mentioned just a, a moment ago about the golden age, uh, what you called the golden age in gospel music. Um, in your time spent researching and, and watching and interviewing, um, what do you think has changed the most, and this might be a loaded question, but what do you think has changed the most in the gospel music industry since you first started doing this? I think uh, since since we came on board, uh, I don't know if there I don't know if the big changes have happened uh, in that time period. There's a there's an ongoing battle with the aging of the audience. I think, mm -hmm. and um, the you know what I described as as the golden age. Uh, you know, the, the groups had uh, had their own uh, 15, 30-minute radio programs, many times live, and then, then went to recorded. Um, groups had their own local television programs. They had the, the Gospel Singing Jubilee, you know, which so many people remember. And, you know, the family would watch that on, on Sunday morning, and that included the kids. So the... The kids were exposed to it at that at that point, and I mean that was all before we we started doing our program. But but I think those things have have really had an impact, and I don't think they've been really replaced with a, with another way to reach the audience, mm -hmm. um, the, the the audience that needs to be reached. You know the. A younger audience would be nice, although I think 
you have to get to a certain age before you can really appreciate the meaning of a lot of the gospel songs. But um, mm-hmm. but there's no reason why kids wouldn't enjoy the programs and, and, and come to love the songs. But uh, it's hard to get to get them exposed to it, I think, nowadays. Yeah, uh, it's... Uh, I... It has, I guess, there's a lot of factors um, involved as far as the young people, and because I've seen, I mean, me as a young person, the way I was raised, you know, I I immediately enjoyed, and it had a lot to do with my parents, my father, mm-hmm. and in him listening to the cathedrals and and growing up and hearing their their records and cassettes played, and the, and it was sort of instilled into me. But I've, you know, since then, since I've, you know, I'm 30, I'll be 35 years old this year, and certainly have had chances to make my own decisions and which you know what types of music I want to listen to and and all that stuff and I still very much have always loved the style of music and I know that as a on the opposite side being a performer in the industry um there's a lot of times you'll go to churches and and they will just they'll have something set aside for the younger crowd to do um as if they just know that there's no way that this that the young people are going to enjoy this. Um, that's so we're just knowing- that's part of the signs of our time, not only with technology, but remember back when they had the all night singings and and for many years the only thing to do was that was their entertainment. That was their only mm-hmm. entertainment, or or listening mm-hmm. to the gospel jubilee, and it was really special when they could go see a live performance. Uh, now. Uh, person has to do is pick up their phone and go to YouTube and they can watch any of it that they want that they want so right. uh, it, I don't believe that Southern Gospel has kept up with the technology world and I don't know mm-hmm. how it could have been done anyway but I think that's probably one of the one of the issues now uh, there's just so much to fill our lives with uh, I mean people don't even have time to go to church anymore and that used to be what you did on Sunday morning so, right. So I think it's that same concept with with Southern Gospel and with concerts. Uh, it's something you do now if you don't have anything else better to do. It's difficult to compete with with all the different avenues of entertainment right. that is out there, and 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 it's one of the reasons why I sort of wanted to, to try to tap into this style of of a show where people are using YouTube a lot more. I mean, there. Uh, most most I, I don't know if this is. I mean, I can't speak for my, you know, for everyone, but bringing this into into something that a lot of people listening to this might not care about. But in the video games industry, the the large majority of everyone involved in it, they get all of their content and information from YouTube. They're not reading magazines hardly anymore. Um, they're not even necessarily going to websites as much even more, other than YouTube. Because it's so easy to go there and get all of your content, and you've got videos, and you've got, you know, there's the visual stimuli, there's the audio stimuli, they get all of it right there. And even in our political culture today, there is a big movement happening on social media where a lot of the, you know, we're hearing all about the fake news and, and about how all of this, you know, the news sites are not being honest and it's not real journalism anymore, it's just for you know, what they call clickbait and for, you know, getting uh, ratings and all this stuff. And so a lot of these personalities on YouTube are becoming more and more popular. Um, and it's sort of 
where media is starting to go. And so I kind of wanted to capitalize on that and get into, try to get into YouTube to where it's easy for somebody, you know, just to get on Facebook and, um, you know, you post a YouTube link and they can click on it right there and then they can see it and they can listen to it. Um, podcast is a little bit behind that. I listen to podcasts. A lot of people I know listen to podcasts, but not everybody does. So I wanted to get into the video format, but, um, as far as what you mentioned earlier um, about there not being a lot of different options, that's one of the things I kind of wanted to tackle in a future episode, a future commentary video. Um, the differences between you know what what we're calling the golden age and today, to where back then there wasn't a lot of competition. I'm not saying that they weren't good groups back then because there certainly were, but going to a gospel concert used to be something that people, you know, they'd get dressed up to do. It'd be almost like going to a ball or something. You'd, you'd make a night of it. And, and now it's just, you know, oh, we're you know, there's somebody at our church and, and it's a free concert and, you know, there, nobody's, there's not a huge drive to get there as far as motivation to, to be there. Um, and so it's, it's kind of been cheapened by the fact that there's so many other things out there and, and there is a need for I think, um, like you said, for this industry to compete with that, but it's just finding the correct avenue, uh, the correct method, I think, to do that. That's the challenge. Yeah. yeah. I think holding, so, uh, trying to uh, trying to relive and to try to hold on to the old days um, isn't, is, not, is not the answer. You know, when we when I when I mentioned the uh, you know the old days of the of the shows on television, you know, not most people were lucky if they had three choices of what to watch on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I started in broadcasting, there was a saying that if you owned uh, a license, a television broadcast license in any city in the country, it was like having a license to print money. It was a guaranteed. Right fortune would be rolling in in advertising. Well, television stations are struggling now. Uh, newspapers are struggling now. Magazines are struggling now. Mm-hmm. It, it, because of exactly what you said, there are so many different choices. And I think the world of Southern Gospel needs to look look for opportunities and look for... I mean, nobody can predict what, what what's next year will bring or what you know even what next month will bring but you can't be continually looking at the way it used to be you have to look at the way it's going to be for more information on the Grady's and gospel music today you can find them online at gospelmusictoday.com as well as facebook and youtube ken and gene have dedicated the last 15 years of their lives to bring us news about the music we love and I hope you've enjoyed learning just a little bit more about them. Well, I, I really appreciate both of you uh, making yourself available to this and to me. Um, I, I hope to do more, you know, more interviews like this in the future. And I wanted to just shed some light on, on two people, you two, you two people, that I, I really do appreciate you and care for you. And it, I'm really glad that... Uh, our paths have crossed in the past and that we were able to do this. So thank you so much for Well, we appreciate you too. And we just want, because this is a new idea with doing something with the video and everything. And we just want to wish you 
the very best because, like you said, we, we're not really sure which way the industry's going, and if we can find a way to reach more people, then it's going to be excellent. And so I applaud your efforts, David, for doing this, and, and thank you for having us as your first guest. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks.